0: Do you find that your Kung Pao chicken is just a bit too spicy? Well, you could try changing the spices or changing the music you listen to. That's what audio branding expert Steve Keller is exploring with us in this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a
1: science and it's actually younger than the internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness.
0: You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain.
1: And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now.
0: Hello and greetings once again. Welcome to the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Pleased, as always, that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. We also hope that you're making us a part of your day with your eyes, by reading the magazine, Live Happy Magazine. It's available on newsstands now. It is also available in the Google Play Store and the Apple Store. And the cool thing is it is now available on your phones. Didn't used to be. It is now. And it's also, of course, still on your tablet devices. We encourage you to check those out because there are some exciting extra features. It's like the DVD bonus features. If you watch DVDs instead of streaming everything, it's like that, but it's for the magazine. So please check that out in whatever form you would prefer. Well, this episode is really kind of cool. It's really interesting to take a look inside the brain. With Steve Keller, who is one of the world's leading experts in the field of audio branding, and he combines his degree in psychology with over 25 years of experience in the music industry as a producer, composer, independent label executive, music publisher, and manager, and he looks at how sounds and music affect us with our science editor, Paula Phelps.
1: Steve, I'm so excited that I'm able to talk with you today and we can share with our Live Happy Now listeners the work that you're doing uh, with the association between music and food. And I think the first thing we want to find out is probably my first question to you. uh, How did you get involved
2: in that? That's a good question. Uh, And thanks for having me here. I'm happy to be uh, sharing with the Live Happy listeners today. Um, You know, it's been an interesting journey for me. My background uh, is – Educationally, in the field of psychology, that's what my degree is in. Um, I was on my way to grad school and was kind of sidetracked by music, which brought me to Nashville. I spent quite a lot of time here working in the music industry, doing everything from composition to remixes to uh, working at an independent label. Um, And then uh, eventually, uh, when I launched IV, all of these passions kind of came together, and I was looking at how music and sound works at the intersection of advertising. And that led me eventually to thinking about um, sound as an extension of a brand. And when you think about that, when you think about it more from the standpoint of a a value, you start thinking about these things around perception and behavior. And along the way, I met a fellow by the name of Charles Spence. And Charles is the head of the cross-modal research laboratory at Oxford.
1: Now, can you tell us that's a huge word? That's a mouthful. What is a cross-modal
2: laboratory? Well, cross-modalism is basically the idea that our perception of the world is formed by all of our senses kind of working together. So if you think about a sense as a modality, cross-modality is the way our senses cross and intersect. So some people are familiar with um, the word synesthesia, that there are some people in the population where if you show them a color, uh, their senses actually cross. So they don't just visually see a color. They may hear a sound or actually have a smell that's associated with that. So. All of us, the research has shown, have some degree of this synesthesia, the way that um, our senses all kind of work together. Now,
1: are we aware of that while we're, it's going on? No, is we're, it?
2: we're usually not aware of it, although sometimes it's crept into our language, uh, like... Talking specifically about music, uh, we talk about high pitches and low pitches. And that's actually a function of the, the frequency. But if I say, oh, this is a high-pitched sound, we would tend to look up. Oh, really? Even though the sound isn't, you know, we can't visibly see it, the idea of a high pitch, um, we think of that placed higher visually. And if we talk about low pitches, um, we think about those down Lower. And so a higher pitch might be a bird sound. Um, and a lower pitch could be something that, uh, you know, you would think of as being very Round and 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 earthbound.
1: Can we talk about how this affects the taste of food? Yes. Because you have done a lot of work in this space, and that's is something that like one. Why does it even matter if we know that music affects the way that we're tasting our food?
2: Well, again, getting back to Charles and his research, Charles has spent a good portion of his life now taking a look at how all of our senses work, and he has spent a lot of time looking at food and taste because when you think think about our sense of taste. It's the one sense, I think, of all of our senses that really is informed by everything else. For instance, you know, most of us know that if we hold our nose while we're tasting something we tend to not be able to taste the flavor as much. And part Mm -hmm. of that is because our sense of smell is kind of adding to that taste. Yeah, it's all interconnected. Exactly. And And sight. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're going to eat something, even though it might be something that we find very appetizing, if it appears to us as being unappetizing for whatever reason, we will tend to taste it differently. And, you know, this is all kind of evolutionary, you know, sure. in a way, because that was how we decided if something was good for us or bad for us. Uh, you know, it would be about the smell and the look and the color and uh, also the sound. You know, if you pick up uh, a melon and you want to see how ripe it is, what do you do? Sometimes you tap on it. You listen to the sound of it. So Charles has taken all of this and just kind of magnified the research around the senses and so looking at sound uh, he became really fascinated with this idea that by changing sound introducing sound or pulling sound away that it could have an impact just like sight and smell on the way we taste things. So he's spent a large part of his uh, career lately exploring this and when I met Charles I found that fascinating. You know, first of all, I'm coming from a music and sound background mm-hmm. and hear this idea, You know, again, thinking about it from a brand perspective, if you're a food brand or you're a restaurant brand, if all of a sudden we realize that that music playing in the background may not just be filling up space, it could actually be affecting the perception of our taste and the food. Well, let
1: me ask you because – we all know that the kind, you know, if you're playing soft music it creates a certain environment. You're not going to listen to punk necessarily while you're trying to have a romantic dinner. So we think about it in those terms, but you've taken it a step further in how it's actually affecting the brain and the way it tastes the food, not just the mood of the moment. Yes. So what is it that that sound is doing to the brain? How does it affect our brains to affect our taste? Well, it's
2: it really is um, as much a matter of perception um, and, and shaping our perception. And the way that, um, that our brains are wired, the auditory circuitry is less complex than the visual circuitry. And the research has shown that when we hear something, our reflexive action to that sound is much faster than our reflexes to something that we see. And the way our brains work... Some researchers have found that sound can actually get into the precortical areas of our brain where our emotions Mm -hmm. live um, 20 to 100 times faster than sight. So if that's the case, if sound gets in before we see something – It's actually beginning to set the stage. So we may interpret what we see by what we hear, and our taste can work the same way. So in those experiments that Charles ran and that we worked on um, here in Nashville, we wanted to look at two things. One was the expectations. If you're looking at a piece of food and you're hearing something in the background, will that affect your expectation of how that might taste. Uh, and then we wanted to take it a step further and see while you're tasting it, is what you're hearing actually affecting your perception of an aspect of that taste?
1: And you actually composed the music to come up with uh, different soundtracks. You had sweet and spicy and savory and sour. And you you yes. created the music. Um, and, and can you tell me what makes something sound spicy versus?
2: Sure. Um, and... First, I have to say that, you know, I can't take credit for actually creating the compositions. Kurt Goebel, who works with uh, me quite often on these ventures, uh, who's an excellent composer, kind of worked with me and helped take the science piece and interpret it sonically. Uh, So there had already been a lot of research done about uh, sourness, sweetness, saltiness, and we decided to look at spiciness because it wasn't a construct that uh, there had been a lot of research around. So we thought, let's start somewhere new. And where this process started was by simply beginning with a survey with a series of sounds where we just asked general public through an online survey, which of these sounds sounds spicy to you? Now, at first, that's subjective. But what we were looking for was is there a larger percentage of the population that would associate certain aspects of sound with spiciness. So what we found was that higher-pitched sounds with a certain amount of distortion at a faster tempo with the addition of maybe some cultural cues, like instead of a steady beating Uh, Native American drumming pattern. It might be more of a a Brazilian samba, a gypsy violin as opposed to a Mozart minuet. So you put those sounds together and we thought now we have to test these sounds to see if this is actually going to have an impact. So we start with people saying, this is what we think would sound spicy without really wanting to understand at that point why. So
1: did you already know?
2: That? Uh, we, we didn't know before we did the experiment. Okay. So we had to start with people saying, this is what's spicy. We took, in statistical terms, the most significant responses, and then we created a spicy soundtrack using that information.
1: All right. And I think that you're, you're going to play us yes. a bit of music that's spicy. Yes. Can you do that?
2: We will play the spicy soundtrack now.
1: That's pretty awesome. Can you tell me what it is that, like, talk about the components of that that make that spicy? Sure.
2: So as you listened, you probably were hearing a very fast tempo. There were rhythms in that that um, felt like you would expect to hear associated with something that was spicy or hot, very flavorful. There were elements of distortion uh, in that the attack of the sounds was very fast um, and very sharp. And so all of that was what people were saying, this is spicy to us. So what we then had to do was, that's all well and good, but is this actually true? Will this actually make people perceive a dish as being spicier, and when they taste it, will it affect their sense of it being spicy? And the long story short is uh, the answer is yes to both of those. We were able to show that people that were exposed to the spicy soundtrack, their expectations for that being spicy were much greater than people who are listening to just white noise or a sweet soundtrack. You know, let's talk talk about
1: the sweet soundtrack. You've got something sweet for us, too. Can you play that for us and then explain to us why that changed the taste?
2: We will play that now. So this track, as opposed to the spicy soundtrack, um, there were still high pitches, but um, these were very, for lack of a better word, they're very sweet. If you talk about a piece of music and you say, oh, that sounds really sweet. Or somebody's voice, you say, oh, that sounds very sweet. I mean, we're used to using those words. So what is it that we're talking about? Well, there's some kind of bell-like tones. There was almost a childlike uh, flavor to some of these sounds. Um, It was very soft and kind of drawn together and very different from the spicy soundtrack. And those sounds, actually, there had already been a lot of research around that. So we were able to use that research and know that these sounds would probably have more an effect on the sweet sensibilities, um, even though we were focused more on the spiciness. So that's what we found at the end of the day was that people that were exposed to the spicy soundtrack expected the dish to taste spicier. Um, And then in one of our controlled uh, experiments, what we had them taste tasted significantly more spicy when they were...
1: That's really interesting the because you soundtrack. wouldn't think someone tell you that this is going to taste sweet or taste spicy because you hear this music. You're going to think they're pulling your leg. Yes. <laughs> um, but now, and it's all very interesting. There's great science behind it. And I know we did a whole article in the current issue of Live Happy that mm-hmm. looks at what you're doing, some of your research, and it's fascinating in a laboratory setting. But can you tell us why it's important in our own lives?
2: Well, I, you know, I think... I think what's really interesting about cross-modal research and, and cross-modalism in general is that uh, it really is an appeal for us to become more in tune with our senses. I think that there's something really valuable in the aspect of ritual in our lives. You know, when when we say ritual, a lot of people think about a religious context. But when we think about ritual as really being in tune with a moment and paying Attention to what 's coming in through your senses, if we think about eating, eating actually is a very ritualistic part of our lives. We gather around it, we communicate around it it 's part of our sustenance, sure um, but we build a lot of other things in our life around that. but what has happened, I think, in our day to day Busyness and always being connected is that we lose some of those aspects of of ritual in eating. So we get into a restaurant where the music is at a very high volume and people are talking very loudly. And what the research has shown is that level of sound and that cacophony, if you will, um, actually dulls the taste. And really? not only that, but we tend to eat more.
1: And do we eat faster? Because that's sometimes I can walk into a restaurant like that and you just feel like everything's really frenetic. And Certainly. You, and you know,
2: our bodies adjust to those tempos. I mean, talking not just about food, but in retail environments they have gotten so sophisticated in how they think about the music that's played. There are certain tempos and they do what's called day parting, which basically they look at the course of a day and the traffic flow in the store and they decide when would they like it to slow down and when would they like to speed up? And that's really kind of based on the, the tempo of the rhythms that everyone's hearing. You know, so we, basically, we, we are
1: it. constantly being manipulated by music, and we don't even know it. Is that what you you're telling me? You <laughs> don't even know
2: it, yes. <laughs> That's in, in, terrific. In more ways than you realize. So, you know, again, back to the restaurant. As you said, if the tempo of the music is very fast and things are very loud, you know, yes, you'll, you'll tend to eat at a faster pace. Um, you'll tend to be eating more. And you really lose sight of, I mean, literally, of the food and, right. and enjoying everything from the smell to the sounds to um, to everything else that goes along. Yeah, and it's all the
1: components it. that make the total experience. And if you're missing one of those, it's changing the experience yes.
2: entirely. And if you think about this, um, you know, from a from a dietary standpoint, I mean, I, I read some interesting research not too long ago where they found that um, if you actually wear earplugs while you're eating, it can reduce your caloric intake really and, and uh, they explained it by saying you know part of it was um you know when the earplugs are in you become more in tune with your own mastication you hear yourself chewing so uh, do you
1: just annoy yourself so you, you're- <laughs> you can yeah that
2: certainly could be a piece of it but i think there's an also another piece of it where you're just paying more attention to the fact that hey i'm eating and i'm full so i can Stop! Uh, you're not being distracted right. by everything. It's mindful else.
1: eating at a whole different yes, level.
2: Exactly. Very interesting. And then that people tend to reduce their caloric intake. You know, wow. because of that.
1: That's yeah. great. We can come up with the earplug diet. <laughs> there you and go. We'll, we'll be rich. <laughs> so this is really fascinating. You're doing a lot of great work here. You're also with Charles Spence in the UK. He's doing things individually, and, yeah. and you're doing some work with him. So where do you see this research? going in the future? What are we going to see coming out? You and I have had some conversations about it and the medical implications.
2: Mm. Where do you see it? Well I you know I feel really fortunate in that um you know I feel like such the amateur here when when you talk about uh, individuals like like Charles uh and Janice who we also worked with um on our experiment uh, now, Janice is also
1: Oxford. an Oxford researcher yes. correct Yes she's yeah.
2: finishing up her PhD track there in the Crossmodal lab but uh you know I think what we're going to see from this is uh more and more chefs that are becoming in tune with the fact that Food is not simply about preparation, but it's about the entire experience. You know, and I've been really fortunate to work with Deb Paquette here in Nashville from Etch Restaurant um, and then Yosef, uh, who's part of Kitchen Theory in uh, London. And I've worked with Yosef on a number of um, projects where we've Looked at developing soundscapes that work with particular dishes on menus and are all about kind of bringing all of these senses together. So I think in the restaurant world, in the pre- food preparation world, you see some really exciting things happening there. But healthcare, I think there's some fascinating applications. Again, if we think about the caloric intake. You know, if, right. if we actually need people to eat more, um, Charles has looked at this, not just with sound, but with sight. You know, the color of the plate makes a right. difference. Yeah. Um, but uh, if we have a diabetic patient that we have to cut the sugar, um, could we use sound in a way that maybe puts some of that sweetness back in? Or a patient who uh, has to treat uh, a chronic illness like cancer, um, where they're going in continually for treatment or the treatment itself, like chemotherapy, may have an adverse effect on their senses and really affect their ability to enjoy eating or enjoy food. If we can use the different senses and sound being one of those to maybe augment something that's lost from another experience, um, that could be really, really powerful. And I think that the potential is there in medical practice to look at sound as part of the practice. And I'm not talking about it in terms of, you know, kind of a more Eastern mystic approach. This is, you know, really hard-based scientific evidence that shows right. that you can actually use sound to um, result in patients feeling better about the treatment, to reduce anxiety levels. Mm -hmm. um, Which is
1: very important in the success of the treatment.
2: To mitigate pain. Right. Um, And uh, and all of these things, uh, you know, could one day result, I think, in physicians not simply prescribing pharmaceuticals, but maybe prescribing a playlist that can can go along with it and it's you know it's it's part of holistic treatment it's not sure. just saying well you listen to something and it solves a problem but it's that our senses can can help us perceive the world and experience the world and change our behavior in the process and i think that's a great thing to pay attention to
1: that's terrific. Steve, I'm so glad that we got to sit down together and have this time and talk about this topic. You and I both could talk about music for a very long time. Yes, I think uh, we could. <laughs> More time than will give us. So thank you so much for doing oh, this. Welcome. And uh, tell our listeners where they can go to find out more information about you.
2: They can go to uh, our website, which is uh, IV, the letters IV, audiobranding.com, and uh, they'll find plenty of things there that they can follow up on Uh, if they're interested in charles's research it's as simple as googling dr charles spence uh, and they'll find more than they can consume i'm i'm sure terrific
0: research see i told you it was interesting if you'd like a free sketch note of this episode or download the free music album it sounds delicious a sonic feast Visit livehappynow.com. And hey, don't forget while you're on the internet to let us know what you thought of this episode. Maybe something you took away, something you'd like to know more about. It doesn't even have to be about this episode. It could be anything that you think we should be talking about on this podcast. You can find us on Twitter at livehappy, facebook.com slash livehappy, or you can send us an email podcast at livehappy.com. We do want to hear from you, I promise. We also want you to join us next week when we talk with Dr. Daniel Amen on how changes in your daily activities can help change your brain and, therefore, change your life. That's coming up on the next edition of Live Happy Now. For Paula Phelps and Steve Keller, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long. Thank you for helping us live happy.